This is Notable Nerds, a pro nerd report podcast where we introduce you to really cool nerds who are doing really cool things. I'm your host, Sebastian Malden, and my goal is to highlight nerdy, talented people who are killing it in the world. In each episode, we will hear their origin story, and they will impart a bit of advice and wisdom to others who might be looking to get in their industry or just learn something new. Without further ado, thank you for joining us, and now let's meet today's Notable Nerd. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest with me today. He is a veteran video game narrative designer. He has written for companies like Disney, Capcom, Lionsgate, Ubisoft. Man, this guy has done it all. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the one, the only, Jeffrey Golden. How you doing today, Jeffrey? I'm doing better now that I've been introduced as the one and only. I really mm-hmm. like that. Man, you're a superstar. I had to introduce you like <laughs> such. Thank you. Hardly, but thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm having it with the pro nerds now. I like no, that. Man. Enough with the amateur nerds. <laughs> amateur nerds are out. Pro nerds are in. We are the professionals here. For sure. I'm glad to have you on the show. I'm glad thank to have another professional nerd on the show. <laughs> That's amazing. Jeffrey, for the people who might not know you, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. Yeah. As you so eloquently put, I'm a narrative designer. For video games, I'm also a game creator, but mostly I focus on story in games, characters, plots, that sort of thing. Writing, I've written for console games, I've written for, for mobile games, PC, all sorts of different topics and all sorts of different mediums within the interactive space. And uh, yeah, you listed some of my credits. I've worked on, let's see, some of the games I've written for recently include Fallen Legion Revenants, which is a an RPG, a Nintendo Switch, and PlayStation. I wrote on a Disney mobile game called Disney Wonderful Worlds, where I wrote the Toy Story Land. So I got to write for Woody and Buzz and Jesse and our Toy That's Box really friends. Cool. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I've written for, recently wrote for Image Comics for a series called Helm Greycastle, where, mm-hmm. where I designed a role-playing game that, that was packaged in and extended the story of the comic book. So you could take the story of the comic and play it out at your gaming table. And uh, I also, I think we're going to talk about this a little later, but I'll run a newsletter game, an email RPG called Adventure Snack, where we put uh, adventure in people's inboxes. That is really uh, cool. That's innovative. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I like to write games for unexpected mediums. I like it when... People are like, oh, wow, is that a game? That's, I like that reaction of that joy and that surprise when people realize that the thing I've written is like an interactive piece. I love that. Well, that's really cool. So are you also a big gamer yourself or do you mostly write more? I do game. I, it's tricky. I, I am a gamer. I think I'm not playing a lot of the games that people who self-identify as gamers play, if that makes sense. I play a lot of weird indie games. I play a lot of just like really bizarre stuff I find on itch.io or like something that was like a Nintendo Switch game that like a friend of a friend said, you have to try this. And it's there's nobody talking about it, but it's just a really this like really cool hidden gem. That's really cool. So yeah, that that's generally my ta- my taste. I go I go for like weird games. And then I also like retro games too. I have an incredible present that my partner gave me. It's a classic Game Boy, 
which mm -hmm. I had growing up, like the classic. Like the know, gray Game Boy? For, yeah, gray Game Boy. But it's modded out with a Raspberry Pi. So it's a retro Pi system that has oh. additional buttons built into it and a big color screen. And it can play all kinds of retro games. I often just play Game Boy games. On it anyway, <laughs> but I, but you could also play Game Boy Advance, the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Manor, Dreamcast, even all manners of games can be played on it, arcade. So I really enjoy that system and going through the that library and uh, finding yeah finding things. I played Balloon Kid recently, which is mm -hmm. a lot of that's a really fun game. I think it holds up pretty well. Balloon Kid. I also uh, started playing Super Mario Land Two: The Search oh, for the yeah. Golden Coins. Which I was big into the original Mario Land growing. That was like my first Game Boy game. And I remember I beat it like multiple times. I loved that game. And Mario Land 2, for some reason, I just, for some reason I didn't play it. I don't know why. Big weird blind spot for me. I'm playing it now. I'm halfway through it. I love it. It's great. It's a nice big Mario sprite to jump around. It feels much more like a Mario game, like a classic Mario game than the original Super Mario Land. But Super Mario Land will always have my heart because it was the first <laughs> Game Boy game. That's really cool. So let me ask you, it's just to segue in a minute, because you gave me a question off the top of my head. You are playing on a Game Boy right now, but you own a Switch. Like, how yeah. is it going from that massive, like, Switch screen back to a Game Boy screen? Yeah, you know, what's funny is that more and more I've been playing games portably. I will just pick up that Switch, even though it's docked with my TV I'll often just pick it up and play it. I, I don't know. There is something. It depends on what game I'm playing. Right now on Switch, I'm playing through the DLC of Dicey Dungeons. Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah. I'm aware yeah. of that one. Okay, yeah. It's great. I, it's Yeah, it's a really cool, a really fun and funny deck builder with the dice, with the randomized dice mechanic. And I'll often, I, it's easier for me to read it if it's like on a small screen that's close up to me. So I'll just pick it up and play. But when I was playing Super 3D, Mario Land 3D, when I played through that, I played it on the big screen. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. I, a game is a game. If I'm if I am absorbed by it, if the gameplay loop is good and I'm hooked, I'm. I, it doesn't really matter the screen size to me. But some games I just feel like are just meant to be played on a bigger screen. It's just yeah. that, that that experience, you want that more cinematic experience. And so, yeah, so we'll, so I will try to give, try to play the game in the optimal environment. But when, <laughs> but lately I just, it's just easier for me to just pick it up and pick it up, up, oh, go to the bedroom, up, oh, go to the couch. You know? I understand it's that convenience factor too. Yeah. The fact that you can just play it anywhere you want to and be as comfortable as you want it to, it can be right up in your face. I'm like, I get it. I love playing on my Switch, but for that reason, I mostly play on my Switch like portable. I don't even like dock it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just, just it, it's so convenient. I mean, that's the genius of the Switch is the switching is being able to <laughs> is it being a portable system and a and a classic TV console. It's genius. It really uh, is genius design. Good work, really Nintendo. <laughs> they really killed it with that one. So let's segue into your top five question for. All my first time guests, I have a segment called putting you on the spot where I ask a top five question based on your area of expertise. In this case, you're right for video games. I'm going to have to ask you a video game related question. So yeah, what are your top it. five video games of all time? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll give you. I'll give you my all time favorite last. 
and then I'll give you I'll give you some of my nostalgic three of my I'll give you three nostalgic ones and two more recent ones. Okay. Most of these aren't in any particular order, but the last one is my favorite game of all time. That okay, I will, gotcha, I will gotcha. say that. In no particular order, I would say Super Mario Galaxy is absolutely one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, that's a good one. It is beautifully really designed. One. It's also the Mario game with a great story. There really aren't many of those, if at all. There is Super Mario RPG, which also I love that. But I feel like Mario Galaxy really married like what's great about platform, like an elegant platforming with an engaging story and characters and beautiful artwork. It's just a exquisite game. Mega Man 3 oh, okay. is a Another is classic. A absolute class. It was a game I fell in love with as a kid. Beating that game was like a point of pride for me. And that and I love that soundtrack still. Oh, I could listen to that soundtrack all day. Magnet Man, Top Man, all those Gemini Man. Oh, the Gemini Man theme is so good. And I love Mega Man. I'm a big, big Mega Man fan. Yeah, I'll always be with the blue bomber there. Let's see. Final Fantasy Four. I oh, always four. listed that's my a deep deep cut. Okay. It is a deep cut. I always listed among my favorites because of its story. It's the first game I ever played where I was like really engaged by the story and it meant a lot to me i remember playing it over the course of many weeks with my friends at sleepovers and like we would talk about the story from final fantasy 4 like what was going to happen we were trying to game it out figure it out that feeling of sharing in the story of a game that like stayed with me so i really owe that game probably a, a, a love for for uh, for gaming. Okay, here's a weird one, but there's another favorite of mine: Glider Pro, which is a Mac only game, a classic okay. Macintosh game. So for a while, I didn't game on consoles. After Super Nintendo, I transitioned to my Mac as my primary gaming device, and I had started the love of like weird shareware games that became my love of indie games and glider pro was an incredible game you you and you could probably still play ports of it to this day it is a platforming game where you play as a paper airplane trying to okay. make your way through a house and you have to get to like grates like with air coming up in order to stay up as soon as you oh, touch wow. a, a, the ground you lose your you lose a life. And one of the things that was remarkable about that game is the number of houses. There was a level creator and people would upload houses to like America Online and places like that. And so you could just play all these different like houses and it was I think one thing I learned from that was environmental storytelling was like the house itself would tell you a story, whether there was like a Wizard of Oz house where it was all like themed to the story of the Wizard of Oz. You'd go through the rooms and it would tell you that story. I loved that. So that was like being engrossed and also experiencing like that fan community, I thought was really That's cool. That's really cool. That's the first one you said that I'd never heard of before. Yeah. I, I've never been a Mac person myself either. So I never had the platform to play it on, but that sounds really cool. I wonder yeah. if they still have that up. I think you could probably get, I imagine that people have ported it. It was a popular 
game, but in the Mac community, which is having a really popular public access show. It's like, (laughs) if you're in the know, like you would know to look for it, then it has a cult following, but yeah, it's very, yeah, very weird and and underground sort of thing. And then my favorite game of all time uh, is a recent game, which is a surprise, but it is called Hypnospace Outlaw. Do you know that one? No, no, I don't know that one either. That is, it's an indie game that came out, I want to say 2019. You play as a content enforcer in a fictional retro internet service provider. So imagine like America Online meets GeoCities. Okay. You are like a content enforcer. So your job is you've been, you're a volunteer community manager going around to different people's websites and deleting content like a capturing <laughs> catching them doing like illegal stuff or like copyright infringement or whatever and then reporting it and getting them in trouble and the amazing thing about this game is that it is really at the heart the story of the online community because the choices you make and who you decide to bust like Uh, You can see like their stories, like you can see how your actions reflect back and what happens to these different users of the website and how it affects the community at large, this online community. It is a fascinating game. It's it's the animation is awesome. The art style is awesome. It's super retro and funny. The album, the music is great. And actually, I got for my birthday the the vinyl release. Of, oh, that's really uh, cool. I think which is yeah, it was a limited edition vinyl. It's so cool. And yeah, I just love that game to death. The highest compliment I can pay to a work of fiction is that uh, I wish I had written it. Um, oh yeah yeah and that's one that's the game where if you were like jeffrey you could pick any game in the world and that game is a game that you wrote i would without question pick hypnospace outlines it's, oh, okay it's, it's exactly my sentiment that's exactly my sensibility as a writer so yeah anyway those are five some some you don't but uh, yeah those are those are my games no, those are good. That's a good list of games. I'm really surprised. Like I with Mario Galaxy, I was almost expecting you to say Mario Galaxy two rather than one. I, but I, I get the argument for one completely. I listen. I appreciate two. I think it's great. I think those levels are great. I think they did a good job. But it's the story in one that mm-hmm. really that really did it for me. And there's just really isn't, I don't remember there even being a story no. too. No. And that's the thing. I know people, most people don't go to Mario games for story and I enjoy a Mario game, but they're generally not, they're generally not my favorite game. They're generally mm-hmm. like comfort games. Yeah, but, for sure. But Galaxy, because they went the extra mile with that story, that's the one that I'm like, yeah, that's the Mario game that is, that I think checks the box for me. I think that one deserves a place in my top five. And I really did love playing it. It was just a great experience. I understand. I'm a big narrative gamer myself. I normally play that more than any other like genre narrative focused single player game. So I completely understand. Oh, that's cool. Um, Do you play visual novels or adventure games? Or I usually like mix it up. I play games like, I don't know if you've heard of What Remains of Edith Fitch. Yeah. I. Yeah. So I am... So this is my shame. I'm halfway through it. I love it. But the problem is it makes me very nauseous to play it. Oh, I understand. Any, all, this is, I have a real challenge playing 3D games, 3D first person perspective games. They make me violently ill. Yeah. In a way that like VR doesn't. 
And I think it has to do with the fact that like with VR, you're actually moving your head and body. And so it's, you're not trying to, I think what happens is my mind when I'm playing a 3D game, it's you should be moving right now. And the fact that you're not moving is very disorienting for me, (laughs) your brain. And then it sends like signals to my stomach to freak out about it in a way that like VR doesn't generally do, which is super weird. But yeah, no, it's beautifully written. I wish I could make my way through it. I'm just having so much trouble. I can play it for about 10 minutes. And then and it's and then I just am like, Oh, no. Yeah, I understand. At that point, I wouldn't recommend it, especially if you get nauseous, because like <laughs> I have the opposite problem. I'm more of a nauseous VR person than I am like a, three, uh, yeah. a like a first person gamer, first person perspective gamer. So I completely understand because like VR, I'll look on, I'll look like I'll put on the headset and I'll look around. And I'm like, oh, this is disorienting or everything's moving a little too fast for my comfort. Right. So I get it completely. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes I get sick with VR too, but recently I've had some good experiences with it. So I'm hoping that I've, I can dive into that stuff. Cause I think it's, interesting. I think it's really interesting, but uh, I got to do ones where I'm like up and doing it. Not just like I'm at my chair and I think I've got to do ones where I'm like, I've got the controllers and everything and I'm walking around or whatever, yeah. I'm bumping into lamps and uh, bumping <laughs> into my bookshelf and then I'm trapped under a bookcase and it's like, oh no, the VR was my undoing. <laughs> a funny way to go. At least you went happy though. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he died as he lived, disoriented in a video game. <laughs> a good way to go out. A good way to go out. Let me, let's transition to topic number one. I really want to talk about your life as a video game writer. Yeah. What, how'd you get started in that business? Great. Completely by accident is <laughs> what? the answer. Yeah. I didn't really know growing up that there was such a thing as a video game writer. And to be fair, I don't know that there necessarily was really. A lot of the writing in classic games was done by the designers or the programmers as just like an extra task or by marketing people who would write the manuals. There wasn't really, a, there weren't really a lot of like people who just wrote and didn't also program. That wasn't like a thing growing up. I had come out to Los Angeles with the intent of being in writing for film and television. And I got a job writing for one of these old flash animation websites. It was around the time of like Newgrounds and Icebox and ones like that. It was a one of those, but it wasn't good. And we were writing cartoons and like flash animated cartoons. And then they started expanding into games. And they were like, hey, do you want to write like games? Like we're just experimenting with it. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Of course I want to write the games. Why wouldn't I? So I, I ended up writing cutscenes for and uh, dialogue and stuff for a lot of like weird flash games that the site was producing. And that was like the first start for my game writing career. That was in 2006. So it's been a while. But I've written for a lot of different mediums as well. I did write a little bit for film and TV. And I've written more for books and comics and audio fiction. But video games was something I kept coming back to in my career. And eventually, a couple years ago, I forget how many years it's been now since I've started, but I focused on it full time and made it my my full time career. And since then, I've gotten a lot of amazing opportunities. And it's been a great ride. I've really enjoyed writing for video games and specializing in it. It's a great challenge. It's really cool. Uh, every day I learn something. 
writing for games, which is which is awesome. That's what you what I think that's for me. I have I can be very restless as a writer. I'll want to like hop from thing to thing. And what video games does it is it offers you a lot of different a lot of variety of work, but with one title that you can build. So with one career that you can build on. So it's great. Would you say that's like the biggest difference in writing for video games versus all the other mediums that you've written for? Yes. I, for me, I have found that if you're writing for, say, TV, there's a very specific art to writing for television, right? There are movies for that matter. Like there are books about it, Save the Cat. Like there are formulas you need to follow. With game writing, there aren't formulas. Like... There are house styles there, you know, that they'll have. Writing a telltale game is a different process from writing, say, the next Doom. Yeah, for but, sure. But there, so there are like theories, there are styles, but but no two projects are really alike. And everybody has different philosophies. And so you could really, it's not like I don't think it's the equivalent of going from say, writing The Simpsons to writing Bob's Burgers. There's a lot of overlap in terms of what the work is. When you go from one project to another in games, it's often radically different, even down to the tools you're using to write the, oh, wow. the scripts or things. You know, Everything changes going from company to company, house to house. It's And it, I think one reason for that is it's a relatively new art form. The idea of writing for games it has a very short history when you compare it to writing books, writing movies, writing for other mediums. So standards really haven't been formed yet, you know, that where everybody agrees. There, Yeah, I was talking about Telltale games, but those are different in terms of design. Those are very different from like choice of game style, oh, yeah, for narrative sure. fiction. There's just, yeah, it's just wild. It's just wild. Yeah, a segue question, but that kind of ties into that. Do you often look at some of these games and you think like major narrative focused games are going to like streamline the industry forward? Or do you feel like the writing is always going to be diverse like it is now to where like it is diverse moving from project to project? Or do you feel like games like God of War, Ragnarok, or God of War and The Last of Us, which are very narrative focused games, are going to move the industry towards that? It's a great question. I tend to think no. I don't think that they'll move the industry towards that. And my reason is because the industry is fragmented. So yes, like those are big, glossy, narrative-focused games. I'm sure a lot of studios use them as examples of this is great storytelling in games. And we want to, our studio wants to make stuff like that. But mobile games are the big money maker. And mobile game stories are nothing, like, generally speaking, <laughs> like the kind of stories you get at a God of War. For that matter, MMOs, which are another huge segment of the gaming, they don't play like either, like narrative-driven one-player games or mobile games. They have their own requirements too, trying to tell a story that a group will get behind as opposed to one that is a single player experience that you do on a console that you'd spend 100 hours with versus one that you're playing on your phone for 10 minutes on the toilet. Like these are, <laughs> these are very different experiences. And I don't see like a convergence between them happening. I think that each of those genres, each of those systems has their sort of niche within the game space and, and have different audiences. So I think there is always going to be 
differentiation between the types of writing that, that you're doing and how games are written. That makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. So do you usually prefer writing for video games over other mediums or do you feel like like you like bouncing around and having different challenges? Oh, I, I like writing for video games because within video games, it gives me a lot of different challenges. Okay. Sure, like I, I do enjoy like writing like a comic book or the, and I get those opportunities come along and I do absolutely enjoy doing those things. But what I like about video games is that like within I don't have to leave video games. I don't have to leave that industry in order to be challenged. Yeah. Like in order to stretch myself as a writer, like I could stay within this field. And what's really good is you could build a career that way. Whereas if you write for a lot of different mediums, it's more challenging to build a career because it's like, is he a TV writer? Is he a game writer? Is he a comic book writer? So creative ambition and market force capitalism, (laughs) like overlap for me with the video games that's where that's the industry where as a writer i feel like yes like i this is a great space for me to be in but i do enjoy i absolutely do enjoy writing for other mediums too and still do so i gotta ask you you've you have this really cool creative project that you've been doing you've been turning emails into a gaming platform can you tell us more about that that's really cool Absolutely. Yes. That's Adventure Snack, which we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of it. Three years ago, I was working on a project that was very grim and very dark. It was cool. It was a great RPG. Uh, I'm happy that I worked on it, but uh, it wasn't necessarily my native style in terms of I I tend to be, I, I tend to write light. I tend to write humor. I tend to have fun, like to have fun with my writing. And so I needed an outlet. I needed like a personal outlet. And I didn't, I'm not really a programmer. So it was like, how am I going to write? I'd like to write games, but how am I going to write games and build an audience for my work without, without learning programming? And because, you know, it's, am I going to form a studio? It's maybe, but it'd be nice to do something I could just do on my own that wasn't like a coordination with all these other people. And yeah, then, for it, sure. then money gets involved and it's okay. Like you got to pay this artist or whatever. So I read about Substack, about the newsletter platform and I was taking off and I was like, you know what? Email newsletter would be an interesting way to do interactive fiction. So like an old choose your own, make your own decisions book. You have to be careful about the copyright. To choose your own path, game books of the 80s that I grew up on or the old text adventures. Like, what if we could do micro, like small versions of that, of those, like the interactive fiction equivalent of a comic strip and use the mail platform as to the publisher, as the way to publish these games. And so that's what it is. Yeah, Adventure Snack comes every two weeks I publish, I send my email list a new snack, and I have about 1,500 subscribers at this point. I've been doing it for three years. I've published over 70 games. The games have been featured um, at festivals, IndieCade, and WordHack at YC, as well as it's been, it's one of the most popular fiction substacks on their platform. And yeah, it's been, it's just been a, a real joy. I get to stretch my legs even within Adventure Snack and I write a lot of different genres. I do fantasy, I do sci-fi, I do mystery. Um, I did one game where you play as a floating pizza. And yeah, that's right. I, there's one game where you play as a floating pizza. I'll just say, you could look it up at adventuresnack.com. Okay. If you go to the archives, you'll see it there. Okay, um, gotcha. 
along with other uh, favorites like Bigfoot is your landlord, um, you are the president's cat, vacation in an infinite time loop. It's just, I like to come up with weird sort of ways to bend the formula to change things up with the Vetra Snack. And yeah, it's really, it's been a rad project. It's really cool. And yeah, and it's completely free. I I, I don't ask for my, just, you could sign up at adventuresnack.com. You can play, you, you can play, yeah, 70 games today and you'll get new games in your inbox all the time. Perfect for a lunch break. Yeah, for sure. That is really cool. That is really cool. I love how you came up with that concept and you're keeping it going and it's growing a following. This is really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's so much fun to do it. I yeah, I really just enjoy the challenge of it, as I say, of keeping it going. So it's really cool. Yeah. How long does it take you to usually write one of those? Is that is it insanely time consuming or is it more so does it take you like maybe a day or two? Yeah, I would say more like a day or two total with that, including the writing and designing and the, 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 we do little images, header images and stuff. So putting together those header images, I'd say it's about a day or two to do one. Oh. Yeah. And they, sometimes I do like longer, more elaborate ones that take me longer. And sometimes I do ones that are really short and simple that take me less time. But I think a, a day or two, working day or two on average is about right. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. So, what is the strangest medium you've ever des- designed a game for? Your podcast listeners won't be able to see it, but I'm going to pull it down for you. Okay, we'll so describe you- it for them then. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so this is the Tiger 2XL. What? And, yeah, this was a toy. It was a 90s toy designed for like education. So you'd get tapes like science facts and you or learn about marine life and basically what it is the two the tiger 2xl is basically a glorified it, it looks like a robot it's like designed looks like a robot it has eyes that light up and a light up mouth that like detects sound and blinks as the yeah. sound comes so it has this animated look to it but it's really a four track cassette tape player so a typical audio cassette tape, those like retro cassette tapes, have four tracks. Side A, left and right. Side B, left and right. What this does is it plays all four tracks simultaneously. So rather than it, so if you have, it plays them all simultaneously, but it only allows one track to be heard at a time. That's what the button presses do. So there's okay. buttons one, two, three, and four. Those are tracks one, two, three, and four. Okay. So you, what you can do with it is you can fake interactivity. You have it's really really interactive, but you can fake a computer type interface with it. So if you the host says on all four tracks, multiple choice question: Who was the first president of the United States? Press one for George Washington. Press two for Abraham Lincoln. Press three for Richard Nixon. Press four for Motley Crue. Oh. So you would press one for George Washington, and it would play track one on the cassette, which says, congratulations, a very basic fact about American <laughs> history. But if you press Motley Crue, it would play track four, and it would say, you are very wrong. You do not know anything. <laughs> oh, boy, what a problem. So basically, so all of this to say, that's what 2XL is. Hmm. And so I designed the first new game for the Tiger 2XL in 25 years. <laughs> It's called Facts About the Robot Uprising. And I got together with a friend of mine, Jordan, who is an audio engineer. 
And basically, we figured out together how the 2XL works. And then we wrote a script. I wrote a script and performed it. And then he edited it, adding sound effects and stuff and laying out the tracks. And then we recorded it with a very special tape recorder that you need in order to do it. Um, but basically, we figured out how it works and we made it. And it was featured at uh, at IndieCade, Everything and Everywhere Festival, which was super cool. It, I did it. I performed with it at a number of comedy shows around Los Angeles. That's and, really cool. Uh, yeah, oh, thank you. Like the UCB Theater. And it's just a really fun project to work on. There was no ambitions with it. We just literally wanted to like take a toy that we remembered from our childhood and see if we could make it something new. So yeah, the, yeah, the you game, gave a new life. We gave a new life. So yeah, the game is called Facts About the Robot Uprising. So the robot Tiger 2XL is basically taunting you, the player, <laughs> about the robot apocalypse to come and is like quizzing you about what's going to happen to humanity uh, in the near future. And so it's, yeah, it's very silly. And yeah, it's, there's different endings that you could get, including he'll sing to you or he'll torture you or all, there's all different sorts of things that can happen. Um, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> Man, you've written for video games and created your own video games. You're doing it all out here. You're really doing it all. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I am. I'm a project-based individual, so I okay. like to take on the projects and uh, and see them through to their completion. Yeah, and it's just I've, I have very eclectic and weird tastes, so I end up the stuff I choose ends up being a little bizarre. No, it's really cool. So we were talking before the show about another non-project that you like to do, and that's D and D gaming. You're yeah. you love tabletop gaming. Do. When you're not when you're not doing projects. Are you mostly on the tabletop? You know what's funny? All the tabletop games I'm currently playing are also projects. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, because so a lot of my friends are comedians, and so naturally it's like we all like to perform, and so. Mm-hmm. When I get together with my friends to play tabletop roleplay games, it's generally being recorded and it generally becomes a podcast. Um, so I'll give you an example of one, but it, that, which isn't to say that I don't just enjoy it for the love of doing it, but it's just that, yeah, my friends are performers. So we're just naturally, that's just what happens. There's a show, there's a podcast I'm on called Worst Movies Ever Played. And nope. on that show, it's me and my friends, uh, Patrick and Brent. And we play a role-playing game called Straight to VHS, which is all about role-playing bad 80s VHS movies, like cult movies, like the kind of movies that were so bad, you would find them in the dumpster behind the blockbuster video. Oh, wow. That kind of, that level of quality. Like what Roger- are some examples of those? of types of movies like that yeah the movies were so bad you'd probably find them in the dumpster or blockbuster what's um, some of the examples that y'all have done absolutely okay so we do new movies so we're making up like our own movies like in that genre and that is so for example we did one called air force fun where brent plays i play like a chuck norris type character who needs to, who gets onto Air Force One to escort it and make sure it has a safe landing. But my friend Brent plays a soldier who dies in combat, whose brain has been put into Air Force One. So I am riding my best friend and protecting (laughs) him from terrorists, as played by Patrick, a European terrorist who invade the plane. And I have to protect my friend 
who is the plane from Terrace. So it's movies like that. Or what's another one we did recently? We released our second season, and I did. We did a movie called Hot Night in Cyber Dallas, where I play Ronnie Fax Machine, a man with a fax machine in his brain. And that fax machine is going to kill him eventually. <laughs> and so he needs to get to Texas Instruments and see the CEO of Texas Instruments, played by Patrick, who's the main antagonist of the film, in order to fix my brain. And and my assistant and my partner is, is a hollow priest, played by Brent, who creates holographic illusions of Bible characters and scenarios to like trick people and stuff. And so we're making our way through the dangerous Texas Instruments Tower, me with my fax machine brain and him with his Bible hologram. So these are very strange, very weird sort of movies that we're making up on the spot with this role-playing game. And then afterwards, our friend Adam, who is a Hollywood sound designer, he actually adds music and sound effects and such to make this to bring the movies to life as if they were actual movies that you were watching. That's really cool. That's really cool. So, yeah, you're you definitely tabletop game projects as well. <laughs> like you have projects all around you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Yeah, as I said, like a lot of my friends just happen to be comedians. And the best way to get like comedians together is to work on a project together. It's it's hard to just get us to go to dinner. But if it's, <laughs> if it's like, oh, we're recording a podcast. It's oh, OK. We're all we'll do that every week. OK. OK. <laughs> they got to be motivated, basically. Exactly. I got you. I got you. Well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. What other tabletop games have y'all played? So I also play Powered by the Apocalypse, which is a great system. It's a really versatile system and it uses tropes really well, like film and TV tropes. It turns them into game mechanics, which is a cool thing. So it's great for genre-based storytelling. I'm doing a project. I can't talk about it yet, it's, but it's, I'm doing a project with the, with some other friends. Another role-playing podcast, actual play podcast, as they call it. But it's a sci-fi one, and it's going to be really cool when it comes well, out. That's really cool. a lot of fun, yeah. So it sounds like you've you're involved in a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff. What do you do to decompress? What do you do to actually chill for a little bit? Absolutely. One thing I do is just go outside. I will run. I'll run. I'll, I, I jog in the mornings or I run, which is good, which helps clear my head. But sometimes I'll just go. I'll just be like, oh, I've been on the computer for too long. And I'll just walk outside and go to the front lawn. I'll just sit, just sit in the front lawn and just do nothing. Okay. Just do not just do nothing and try not to think about nothing. And if I could do that, so it's Zen meditative sort of thing. That's really um, cool. If I can do that, it, it really helps. But things I do for fun, I like to I like to play video games just mm-hmm. for fun. I like to you know, pick up my Game Boy I was talking about or Switch or something like that and just lose myself in that. I do hobby a little bit of hobby electronics stuff. I've been getting into like animatronics and how like servos work and stuff like that. And just like building little things, little weird projects. I did a hand recently. I did like an animatronic hand that oh, that's really cool. opens and closes and can move the digits and stuff, which is cool. And then, yeah, I like to, I love movies. I watch movies what all have you the been time. Lately? A lot of those sort of bad VHS type movies. Okay. My favorite recent one that I really loved is called Munchie. And it is a Roger Corman film. He's produced it, who did Death Race 2000 and stuff. 
It's a family comedy. Oh, yeah. Munchie is very obscure and weird. I would not blame you for not knowing what it was. <laughs> but if you're in the mood for hilariously bad family, 90s family film, it is incredible. Dom DeLuise plays a ancient space alien question mark his origins are a little hard to parse he's a wise cracking wish granting horribly puppeteered alien type creature who befriends a child who is a down on his luck kid and together they turn his world upside down in ways that are illogical and very weird and very funny. It's a sequel to a movie called Munchies, which was just a Gremlins ripoff. It was basically a Gremlins ripoff, a very low budget. Okay. Munchie, despite sharing the same, like a lot of like similarities in its title and some, it is not considered a sequel to it. Wow. Even though there's a lot of like weird levels of continuity between the two. So it, it's very confusing the way the movies were. Are. And then there's a third one that sort of denies a lot of the continuity from the second one. It's just very weird. But I would recommend Munchie to anybody looking for a really bad movie. I find them to be just fun to, to make fun of while you're watching it. Okay. I think it's just great. I'm I was thinking about Dom DeLuise and I was thinking I was like I don't necessarily know if I've seen him outside of animated stuff because I've he's done a lot of animated stuff like Intel All Dogs Go to Heaven Oliver and Company is one of my favorites of his so I mostly know him from his animated stuff I think he was also in Robin Hood Man in Tights yeah, that, I believe that's right I've just decided I'm going to pull up his filmography right now okay. because I want to see. Oh, yeah, of course, he's in Blazing Saddles, which you may have seen. He's actually in a number. He was in Silent Movie, too. So he's in a couple of. Oh, he's in the Muppet movie. Oh, uh, yeah. He has a cameo I'm, in the I'm Muppet not. movie, which is great. Yeah, he's in Cannibal Run. Have you ever seen Cannibal Run? I haven't seen that one. That one. I love Cannibal Run. I don't know if it holds up. It probably <laughs> doesn't. But I really love those like madcap comedies of oh, the okay. 70s and 80s where it's like a bunch of like weird stock comedy characters all trying to like pursue a goal against each other but yeah i oh space balls oh yeah he's yeah, the hut space in space balls so yeah it's like a lot of mel brooks films and like mm -hmm. parody films and then like animated movies and i agree i think i've probably experienced him more in animated movies as well but also actually it's, it's a almost a mixture yeah, because I've seen a lot of the Mel Brooks film. Yeah, I just, I love his energy. Dom DeLuise is like a real, it's just, he's got like a really like cool, like really like, there's something about him where I feel relaxed with his comedy. <laughs> his com he's not necessarily like a relaxing comedian. There's a guy like named Joe Para, who is a really funny comedian whose shtick is like very specifically like, down he's like very downbeat and like very mm -hmm. calm dom de Luis isn't like that at all but there's something like very comforting to me about dom de Luis's type of humor where it's like oh dom's here it's like my weird uncle is here oh okay not no he's not weird in a bad way he's weird in a good way he's my good weird uncle is here <laughs> the good weird uncle i got you yeah i got you i have one last major question for you 
Yeah, so, let's do it. I always, every time I have a guest on, especially guests with who are such high notoriety like yourself, I always ask them at the end of the show, or at least try to, what are some words of inspiration that you would give to someone who's trying to do like things that you are doing right for video games or right for other mediums? What kind of words would you want to give to them? The classic advice that people give to writers, to young writers, is to write, just write. Whether it's poet and even like simple, silly poems, limericks or whatever, whether it's fan fiction, whether it's copying the work, oh, I really love, I really love comic strips. Okay, I'm gonna write comic strips or something. Whatever it is, just write and finish. Finish what you write because you wanna put it out in the world to get people's reactions. So start small. For game creators, a lot of game creators, when they first start making games, they're like, I want to make the most incredible game. I want to make the game. I want to make my own World of Warcraft. I'll make my own MMO. And it's like, maybe (laughs) not a good first project. Think small and, and release more. Release more stuff. Because those, the reactions people give especially in your earliest, the notes that people have, those can really shape your work. Not every note you get is a good note. But if you start to notice, if you release more stuff and you start to notice patterns about how people react, it'll help you find your voice as a writer. It'll help you with your craft. And you want to get to those 10,000 hours, right? So as Malcolm Gladwell would say, the Mm 10,000 hours to becoming an expert. So you want to burn through those 10,000 hours, have as much fun as you can, do as much as you can, release as much as you can. And and that's how I think you get to that expert level where it just becomes like, yes, I can do it. You can do it professionally if you want to. Another bit of advice I would say is that you might not want to do this professionally. Maybe something that you love to do creatively isn't necessarily the best career path. So don't be so, pursue it if you like, but understand that like you are as legitimate a writer if you're not making money from it, if you're just making stuff for the fun of it and you're posting fan fiction, whatever, like your work doesn't need the stamp of capitalism to make it legitimate. You are a writer if you write. You are an artist if you draw. But you aren't, if you never release the stuff, I think it's I think it's crucial to be taken seriously as an artist to release your art. So I say do the work, get stuff out there, see if you enjoy it, see if it's see if it's see if you have fun doing it and and keep at it and to see where it takes you. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. I've had a blast talking to you. We've went all sorts of like all sorts of really cool topics and from everything to video games to some really cool films and all that kind of, all the stuff in between. Before we go, where can the good people find you? Absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Golden. That's G-E-O-F-R-E-Y, like the Toys R Us giraffe, and G-O-L-D-E-N, like the color. You can find Adventure Snack at adventuresnack.com. You can sign up for free there. And my podcast, Worst Movies Ever Played, that's on all podcast players. So wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to find Worst Movies Ever Played on the Starburns Audio Network. Thank you again for being on the show. I really did have a blast and I'd love to have you back sometime. Maybe if you want to talk about some really cool projects you're working on, or maybe if you just want to talk about some really nerdy movies that you're watching, I'd love (laughs) to have you back anytime. 
Sebastian, it's a, it was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me on. This was great. <laughs> no, it's, and the pleasure was mine. And thank you again. And we'll see you really soon. Bye, Jeffrey. Bye-bye. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I just want to remind you that you can get Notable Nerds every single Thursday, and we're going to bring you the dopest guest in the nerd community. If you want to suggest a nerd that you think should be on the show or discuss topics of an episode with others, join us on the Pro Nerd Report Facebook group. Once you're in, go ahead and provide some feedback. The link to join us in the Pro Nerd Report free Facebook group is in the show notes. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope to catch you every single Thursday. Holla at your boy later. Peace.